This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Here's the hard truth. People are dying. Families are grieving. Communities are suffering. So we're going to do more and we're going to do better. Thoughts and prayers are just not going to cut it. It's Liberal leader Justin Trudeau today on the campaign trail, obviously trying to change the channel from what's been talked about over the last 48 hours and talking about how the Liberals are promising to ban military-style assault rifles as part of a broader gun control plan. One of the other things they're talking about is some taking some steps towards giving cities more powers to restrict and ban handguns. And remember, that's come up in recent years. Surrey has talked about this. Toronto has talked about this as well. So we wanted to talk more about this particular issue. Uh, the The Liberals, had their backdrop for that announcement today was actually Toronto's Greektown neighborhood. That's where a gunman killed two people and wounded 13 others last year. So clearly it's going to resonate there. Does it resonate right across? Across the country. To talk more about this, Daniel Fritter joins us now, publisher of Caliber. It's Canada's firearms magazine. He's speaking to us from Kelowna. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Do we need a military-style assault rifle ban? No, I don't think so. They're, they're typically not used uh, in the commission of a crime, and I think it, it speaks a bit to it. it. You know, Justin Trudeau announced this from uh, the Danforth, where uh, an individual used an illegally acquired prohibited firearm using a handgun. Uh, to use that as the backdrop for announcing a military-style assault weapon ban or whatever that is, um, is a little bit strange, but I think it speaks to the fact that they aren't really a problem. Right, so then, but do we need them at all then? Um, I mean, obviously the issue becomes, do you want to live in a country where you have to justify the things you possess? Because um, if you have to make the, well, do, we, do you need one argument, then it has to be extended out from that, obviously. And do you need to have wine? Do we need to have cars that are capable of 130 kilometers an hour, that kind of thing? Okay, so you feel it's unnecessary. How To buy one of them now in Canada, talk to me about the process you have to go through for that. So specifically for an AR-15, you have to take a two-day two day mandatory safety course that culminates in both a practical and a written exam. You must pass both, obviously. Then you need to provide uh, a triplicate of character references, including your previous conjugal partners, if you have any. Um, you have to disclose your financial standing if you've declared bankruptcy, if you have any mental health attestations the government needs to know. You submit all that to the government, and I think it's about 28 days later, there's a mandatory waiting period, a cooling-off period, as they refer to it. Uh, you get your license. From that point, you can then go to the store. You can ask to purchase an AR-15, which will cost you probably around $1,500. Uh, the gun store won't actually give you the rifle. They'll instead call the government and say, can we transfer this rifle to that individual? And the government will say, yes, that person has a license, and they'll approve the transfer, and then the gun will be transferred over. Once you get it, you have to store it in a gun safe or in a locked container with a trigger lock on it as well, and you can only take it to a gun range. How widely purchased are these things? There's around just over, I believe, 50,000 AR-15s in Canada, legally owned. 
Right. And so they're, are, they're traceable then. It sounds like from the descript, the, what the system the, that you provided there that you talked about, if there's a problem, the government should be able to find out who had what gun. Well, and exactly. AR-15s are restricted firearms just like handguns, so they are still registered. So the government knows exactly how many are out there and who has them. Um, and like I said, the other laws are that you can only take them to a gun range or a gun store. You can't take them anywhere else. You can't take them hunting. You can't take them in the woods. It's actually illegal for you to take too long of a detour on your way to the gun range. You can't, if I'm driving, for example, from Delta to Abbotsford to go shooting and I detour into Vancouver, that's illegal. You have to take an expeditious route to get there. So these guns are not even on the streets. And it's largely why you don't see them in the commission of a crime. Because if you're a criminal, you want a, a, a kind of gun that's going to get you a lot of attention and a lot of headlines if you get caught with it. Or do you just want to have the, you know, illegally smuggled handgun that everyone else uses that, you know, the police are used to seeing and whatnot and dealing with? So then do you think when you hear politicians talking like this, you think, well, this is just fish in a barrel. This is just like it's, it's an easy target. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've the second the photos came out, everyone within the gun industry knew that there would be an announcement shortly. It follows Paul Martin's exact You'll remember the Gummery uh, inquiry was released late in 2005, November. By December, Paul Martin was in Toronto announcing if the Liberals were re-elected, a handgun ban. So it's it's the exact same playbook that they're following here. Um, and I think it's it's an attempt to distract, and it's frustrating. Is there a better way then, Daniel, that you can think of that would reassure people that you know some political party is doing something on the issue of gun concerns? Um, I think the big thing with the gun concern, for example, is around just over 200 people that were murdered with handguns in 2013. That's the year that they're referencing, which was also uh, a, a bad year for it. It's one of the worst years we've had on record. It's been down since then. Um, I think the big thing has to come down to analysis of funding. That's what I wish people would look at more than, than the gun control regime. Because like I said right now, to get a gun in Canada, you need to have a license. That's mm-hmm. That process that I explained earlier is for any gun. It doesn't matter if it's a hunting gun or an AR-15. You have to go through the same process. So we're essentially controlling the population of people that can acquire guns quite well. Mm-hmm. Every day, everyone with a license goes through a criminal record check because if you're an uh, investigator or arrested for a violent crime, you know you get in a bar fight on a Wednesday night, Thursday morning, the RCMP are going to be knocking at your door to take those guns away because until you clear up that charge, you cannot legally possess those firearms. The Criminal Code of Canada says possession of a firearm in Canada is illegal unless you have a license and it's a five-year exemption. Right. And the license obviously has these conditions. So we're already controlling that very, very well. I wish that they would put more funding into the causes of the violence that we're seeing, which is primarily the drug trade. And I wish that we'd see more gang interdiction going after the money laundering and, and the other avenues that organized crime are using guns to commit violence. But what is enforcement like, Daniel? Like we have these rules, the rules, I think when you listen, they're very comforting. You think, OK, we're on it. But what is enforcement like if somebody's guns get stolen, if another gun shows up in the commission of a crime, how good are we at saying that was your gun and you have to pay a price for that? Um, if obviously if a gun is registered, like an AR-15 or a handgun, uh, they can. I would assume they, unless the serial number is defaced by the the criminals, so I, I don't know into the technical aspects of that sort of stuff where that goes. But if there's a serial number there, they should be able to find it. And, and I know that they have found they've put a lot of effort into trying to find out where guns come from. Obviously, you do end up with some problems because of the porous border. Unfortunately, we you know not unfortunately rather, but we do live next to the most heavily armed country on the planet, mm-hmm. and we don't have a defended border. So. Ultimately, uh, if you talk to anyone in law enforcement that works with firearms, um, they'll just tell you that you have to kind of think of them like any other commodity, like cocaine, heroin, methamphetamines, you name it. They flow through borders from places where they're cheap to places they're expensive. If they ban a bunch of guns in Canada, 
they'll just get them from the states is the cold hard reality of it they're already smuggling drugs across that border adding handguns to those shipments right. would not be that much of a a leap. But then what about dealing with this handgun problem, right? We know that's come up time and time again. Police chiefs have talked about this as well. What do we do about that? Increase funding at the grassroots level, like right at the, they need to be increasing funding for organized crime units in Surrey and Vancouver and Toronto, Kelowna here. Um, they need to literally just put more officers into cruisers and on the street corners uh, investigating these crimes. Because, I mean, the backlogs on caseloads are huge these days. The Kelowna RCMP here in town are chronically underfunded and understaffed. Um, we've seen time and time again in history, the only way to really make a huge dent in crime rates is to increase the amount of people doing enforcement. Right. So you had heard that, though, from anybody. Pardon? You, have you really heard that, though, from any political party talking about that um, approach? No. Interestingly, uh, sort of some of the only people that I've heard it from have been other people that have been kind of coming at the gun issue from, to be honest, kind of the opposite side, like uh, communities for zero violence and whatnot that are pointing out, you know, they're not funding uh, groups that, for example, keep youth from getting involved with gangs. Uh, they're not funding those sorts of things. They're not funding outreach. They're not funding at-risk youth programs. Um, because and I, I think this is a testament to it because they want the votes. This is a, you know, a channel changing vote getting machine mm-hmm. for them more than a solution to a problem. So, right. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for the analysis on this. Oh, thank you. That's Daniel Fritter, publisher of Caliber. It's Canada's firearms magazine. He's talking to us from Kelowna.